Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. It is Indy 500 week here in the city that never sleeps. It's Naptown. We're back. Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley, early on a Monday morning. We've got, a do, we, we do have a little bit of Colts stuff to get to, but this is all about the race here in Indianapolis, yeah. the state of Indiana, and uh, thousands flocking to our great state this weekend. I can't wait for it, Chris Presley. I am a Stan J sitter. Uh, stander for some of the race, sitter for most, though. Is that where you posted the photo from yesterday? Yesterday we were uh, kind of the end of the front straight, almost turn one, yeah, uh, to watch Qual, or I guess the Fast 9 and the last row shootout. Boy, it was hot out there. Yeah. Whew. But it felt yeah. good. It, it was a good workout, honestly. You just sweat and you feel like you're, you've, you've accomplished <laughs> something. Um, but, yeah, I can't wait. You know, a lot of these events – you're there, and you're kind of covering it. This is one of my few kind of fan, fully invested as a fan. So um, I can't wait. And we do have some cold stuff to get <laughs> to, so let me tease that as well. I was out there at practice on Thursday. We'll be back out mm-hmm. there again this Thursday, their final week of this shortened off-season spring program. Uh, so we'll get into some takeaways that I observed last Thursday. And then a nice variety of Twitter questions. I felt like there was a good mix yeah. this week. So not a super long pod, but we'll definitely hit on those as well. Shout out to PropSwap, as always, for sponsoring this edition and every edition of Kevin's Corner. Right now on PropSwap, Chris Presley, we've got Indy 500 tickets available. Joseph Newgarden, Colton Herta, Alexander Rossi. Mr. Rossi, 14-1. to 1. Colton Herta, 13-1. to 1. I think those are extremely enticing odds yeah. for those two drivers. I do as well. I know towards the end of the, the, the podcast, we'll probably you know give our selections on who oh, we yeah. think will we'll cross the row of bricks first, so I don't want to tip my hand too much, but one of those three guys you just mentioned, that's going to be my pick. Yeah, I've invested about $150 so far in any 500 bets, trying to cover all bases. Scott Dixon, <laughs> we'll just hedge with him. And then, uh, yeah, Alexander Rossi, those are really good odds, man, inside of row four. And then Herta, I mean, he's been just as fast as Dixon really all month long. Right. There he is. Granted, he's young and he's crazy, but sometimes that, that works. Crazy at least works. I don't know about young. Um, so, yeah. Uh, again, the 100% match deposit bonus, and a lot of you DM me asking about this. Uh, promo code GUIDE, G-U-I-D-E. So that is a 100% match deposit bonus up to $500 from prop swap so make sure you guys check that out and uh, yeah should we get into it yeah odds with racing are great odds with golf are great as well and yesterday boy phil mickelson jeez yeah i'm a certified phil hater i guess i should openly admit that you know you can't love tiger and, and like phil that's just part of <laughs> fandom um so i hate phil granted i'm not a big brooks kepka guy and as much as i love louis eustace's golf swing i don't know if he does a lot for me in the cheering, I wanted a little bit more drama. If I'm going to be picky, I thought Phil would give us that. You know, Phil's Phil's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but in all seriousness, Chris, that was one of the top, boy, three or four moments in my lifetime in the game of golf. And uh, again, I say that as a Phil hater, but that was that was damn damn special to watch. Um, I can't believe he did it. Yeah. Especially on that golf course. And great to see the crowds out there again. Like, oh that. yeah, boy, I got a little nervous there in eighteen. They're going to take Phil down. But um, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, Kepka, you could tell was not happy about that. Granted, Kepka doesn't look happy about very many things in life. So shout out Phil. Whatever. All I know is that it'll make Tiger hungry. It'll make Tiger hungry. All right. To 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 want to come back. Great crowds at the golf outing this weekend. Crowds finally out at the Colts complex for you guys with yeah. the media. So let's talk a little bit about what you guys saw last week. Yeah, there's about, I don't know, nine or ten of us that are out there. And it sounds like training camp will be at Grand Park again this year. And uh, really looking forward to that. Hopefully we'll get official word kind of on start date and whatnot here. Uh, you assume late July, but who knows exactly when things will get started. I do want to preface with this, Chris. I think there's a little bit of, I don't know, just kind of unknown or people aren't really sure about exactly what is going on and how intense these sessions are. Um, No helmets, no full pads, no offense defense, 
and not even one-on-ones. I was a little bit disappointed by that. Mm-hmm. I get the no offense defense, but I thought you'd see some, hey, Rock, you seen, here's Paris Campbell, go. Or, you know, I guess O-line, D-line, one-on-ones are a little bit more intense. But, you know, Sam Tevy, here's Ben Banigo, you know, something like that. But we're not even seeing that. So calling it a sped-up walkthrough would probably be a bit unfair. I mean, they are going close to full speed. Uh, probably actually full speed, but it's never like in a competitive setting. Mm-hmm. It's routes versus air. The defense, it's incredible watching the defense and just how much they preach, you know, stamina and, you know, wind during these sessions. I mean, they, they, they're they working up a sweat, and these D linemen are running their ass off from, from drill to drill and whatnot. Uh, but I still think it's nice just to see body types. I think it's good to see what guys look like even in these kind of individual periods. Um, it's good to take attendance, frankly, just see who's in there, who's not in there, you know, injury situations during the offseason and whatnot. Um, and it's something. It's it's good to get eyes on the 2021 Colts, granted, in a small setting. So um, feel free to, to interject if you've got any comments, Chris. I'll, I'll start with Wentz. I'd say something that we've grown accustomed to as either Colt fans or covers of the Colts, if that's a word. <laughs> Colts have massive quarterbacks. Like, huge. Size-wise, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Andrew Luck is 6'4", 230, and he's like the smallest of the four they've had now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jacoby's every bit as big of a, as Andrew, if not probably a little bit bigger. Rivers is 6'5", 240. And then you look at Wentz, I think he's listed at 6'5", 237. So that's right there and bigger than Andrew and Jacoby. So it, it's the size, but then it's the movement. You know, you, you watch him and Jacob Eason throw, and it's very similar. When, when you went from Rivers to Brissett, you know, starter to backup, boy, stark contrast in how the ball comes out. It's very similar with Wentz and Eason. But then when you watch them do, like, rollouts mm-hmm. or, you know, sprint outs or even, like, a little bit of RPO stuff, I mean, Wentz can move. Yeah. Um. And maybe, again, I'm so ingrained to watching Rivers do those drills last year, so anything looks, frankly, uh, like Scott Dixon-like speed out on the practice field. But in all seriousness, like, once you watch him and you're like, that dude was a number two overall pick. Like, there, there are just raw traits that his ability to throw the ball down the field and then his ability to move um, – yeah, it's it, it stands out. There's an effortless throwing uh, arm strength to him, and now it's obviously up to Frank Reich to get right. I, I uh, get him right. I posted an article this morning, Monday morning, on uh, 107.5thefan.com. I asked Frank last week, you know, is Carson broken? Or I, I guess I didn't ask him that directly. I asked him, you know, what do you kind of say to those people that have associated that word? And I thought Frank was extremely candid, so I encourage people to check that out. And... Um, it's just a lot to work with yeah. for Frank. Now, obviously, these settings are much different than red jersey is off or even the red jersey's on and it's offense, defense, and things like that. So um, I, I'd say that's the first thing that jumped out to me, Wentz-related. Um, it was good to see Mack and Campbell back. Yeah, I, I would say that. they both looked very, very good. Yeah, I would. St- let's start with Campbell. Um, you know, 100% cleared. Now, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. I think it is, as we record this, we, I say we forget, I don't know, maybe I'm just talking about myself, I forget that not only is this dude four three one in the 40, you know, him and Hines ran the fastest 40 at their respective positions at, at the combine back-to-back years, he's pretty well built. He's six foot two oh five. Like, this is not a slight human being. His injuries are not because he's Rondell Moore size or whatever. He is pretty thick, isn't the right word, but he fills out his right. frame very yeah. well. Um, I don't know what it'll do to his confidence, Chris, but I would like to think him being healthy in mid-May does something for him mentally. Um, we, we also have gotten players uh, over Zoom here over the last now two weeks. Campbell's always very honest. Um, boy, that's got to be tough for him. I mean... Beyond tough, you know. I've I've thrown out some of these numbers. It's it's crazy. He's he's caught balls in three games since his first month of his rookie season. Three games. I mean, Colts That's have played nearly thirty games in that span. So 
it, I, I feel you almost feel bad asking him some of these questions, but you have to. He is just adamant that it's like, I cannot go there mentally. Because if I go there mentally, now I play timid, now I play scared, and if I'm playing timid or scared, I'm not a massive asset to this offense. Mm-hmm. If he's healthy and he's confident, I mean, he's one of the more indispensable players on this offense. And I know that might sound a bit hyperbole, but I really believe that. Um, so, yeah, the fact that he's out there, obviously Mac, when you think about it, Chris, you know, all Achilles are different, but I mean, this isn't Achilles rehab. Um, he didn't do a whole lot, if I'm not mistaken, last Thursday, but he's definitely doing something. Yeah. And, you know, it could just be, you know, one day on, one day off. Maybe he did Monday, Wednesday last week, and, you know, we just happened to be out there on a, on a Thursday. Um, you know, it's funny watching, or I should say listening to Jonathan Taylor. Man, does he sound different a year later. You know, I felt like bit overwhelmed early in that rookie season, admitted that sounds much different to me. And I feel like at times we kind of forget about Taylor. And, yeah. again, I'm probably at fault for that. But the sure things you don't often focus a whole lot right, on. Right. Holy shit, man. I mean, if Jonathan Taylor stays healthy, it's Derrick Henry, and you don't go too far down the list before you're naming Jonathan Taylor mm-hmm. uh, in the NFL, which obviously that is huge for Carson Wentz. Um, you know, the wideouts, that group is just big. <laughs> uh, you know, Pittman, Mike Strawn, and Desmond Patman. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I watching the Pacers Thursday night. I'm like, oh, boy, Pacers, you know, well, Pacers <laughs> could use anybody at that point. But, uh, oh, boy, that that reminds me. We probably got to do a Pacers podcast here. Oh, yeah. Somewhat soon. We, we should maybe let the dust settle a little bit. Kevin Pritchard going to talk to the media here later today. But, you know, the Colts have always searched for those big, big wideouts. And those are, I mean, big dudes. You know, Funchess obviously was kind of the start of it all. But now you've backed that up. And it'll be uh, you know fascinating to see what Strawn and Patman look like once things get a little bit re- more real. Pa- Patman changed his jersey number to 10. So, when do you go, 85 maybe, 80-something last year? I believe so, yeah. So, yeah, um... So this obviously the sex appeals there on the offensive side of the ball when you look at I mean when you guys go out to practice the the average fan or, or even media member probably you can see a quarterback throw the ball you can see a wide receiver catch the ball what do you guys look for on the defensive side of things when they're not doing one on ones Yeah it's it's difficult I mean honestly the, the first thing you just look at is who is where like who is with the starters who is not um, you know Quiddy Pay kind of rotating uh, Alkani Muhammad didn't work the day we were there. Uh, I'm trying to think who well. Ture didn't work. Still has kind of that small brace. You know, he had that offseason mm-hmm. surgery to get the chip, a little bit of a chip out of his ankle, uh, which is a big bummer that, you know, Ture has also missed so much practice time yeah. in his NFL career. But you know, I'm not shocked by that. I think Pay will be a day one starter once you get there. But, you know, it's a rookie in his whatever, his second or third week on a practice field. So I mentioned earlier, I think I mentioned earlier, no roads out there. I didn't see Hines. Obviously, Eric Fisher isn't working. I think Nelson's a little bit limited. You know, I had heard you know he kind of had a couple cleanups in the off season. I think he's a little bit limited. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I think those are kind of the big names. So defensively, I know a lot of my colleagues have talked about it. I mean, Dio Dangbo, even though he's not working, boy, you talk about just a big, big human. Mm-hmm. And I mean, twenty whatever he is, twenty one, twenty two years old. You know, I know Chris Ballard is. Compared his body type a lot to Buckner's. To me, Buckner is a little bit more, which is wild to say about a guy that's 6'7", 295, just a little bit slender. or um, He just carries his weight extremely well. And I right. feel like Dio is a little bit thicker in the chest area. Boy, we're really getting in depth here with describing some of these <laughs> body types. But you know what? Welcome to May 24th over Kevin's Corner. Hey. Um, I should note that Adengbo's body fat when he came here for rookie minicamp was like unbelievably good, and how well he and that's you know whatever three months four months post post Achilles. But to me, as I get a big yawn here, um, <laughs> to me it is a little bit of Dio, just a hair 
thicker than Buckner. Okay. Um, I want to say Dangbo is listed at 6'5", 276. I think he's a lot bigger than that, to be frank. And Buckner, again, 6'7", 295. So, but obviously what you see is just dudes at arms just hang down. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just right. like, wow. Um, you look a lot different than a lot of those other defensive linemen. Uh, the opt-out guys are back. Marvell Tell, Roland Milligan, Sky Moore, they're all back. I, I found it interesting that Leonard, Darius Leonard, compared Quiddy Pay a little bit to kind of a DeForest Buckner of quiet, reserved to a degree, but then gets on the field and just works. Yeah. Just freaking works. Um, so you got to like that. One note that I had that I found interesting, and this was in our interviews with players last week, is Kenny Moore, again, extremely honest in saying that he felt like the chemistry of the secondary on and off the field was an issue last season. Um, that kind of stood out to me as something that, for one, I, you know, it's a group that struggled in some big games, and Kenny admitted that as well. Uh, but then, two, you've brought back pretty much the same exact group. You know, you re-signed Xavier Rhodes. I mean, you really didn't do – you didn't draft the corner at all. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Rocky Seen obviously is back. Isaiah Rogers is back. Marvell Tell comes from the opt-out. Of course, you have Kenny. Safety-wise, you lose Tavon Wilson, who's a veteran. Uh, but bring back, of course, Kari Wilson, Julian Blackman, who Chris Ballard are is extremely high on both of those two. Um, but that'll be something, I guess, to keep an eye on. You know, Kenny – his position coach now is James Rowe, the new cornerbacks coach. He comes from um, some college background with Kenny Moore. So how does he handle mm-hmm. this? And I, I don't think it's like a massive, massive issue, but the fact that Kenny's willing to share that, it's something to note. And like I've talked about, it, that, that secondary, I think if you're worried about something with this defense, if the pass rush doesn't get going, how much of an improvement has that corner group in particular made? Uh, that is – I. I I think a big storyline. When you do look at the quarterbacks that you face this year, obviously Wilson and Stafford right out of the gate. I don't think it's a quarterback, you know, gauntlet by any means. Yes, you get Brady and Allen back-to-back weeks. You get Kyler Murray late in the year. But you take Watson potentially out for two games. You know, last year you faced Rodgers. Um, it, it's just not maybe as menacing to me. I I'd probably would have to look a little bit closer to the schedule, but you face a whole lot of young QBs. Mm-hmm. And then late in the year, I, I don't think it's murderer's row by any means. So, um, so yeah, the, 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 those are some things that stood out to me. This is an article form. A few more takeaways I had in there that's up on the website. I'll have another one on Thursday just to recap things. And I'll probably post a depth chart a little bit later Okay, uh, just to see what I've observed here in the spring. Uh, f- for what it's worth, you know, I think T.J. Carey ran out there with Kenny Moore for the first team and not Rocky Yassine. Totally fine with that. Rock's got to earn that spot back. TJ Carey earned that spot late in the right. season. Now, some of it was, I think, a demotion, but some of it was TJ Carey was playing pretty good ball for you. So uh, that is something to watch as well. Cool. All right, like you said, any other uh, takeaways, go ahead and go to 1075thefan.com. Kev's got that article up and plenty more to come the rest of the week. Let's jump into Twitter questions. Let's do it. All right, Bryson wants to talk about the train or OTAs, I should say. Yeah. I saw that Jacob Beeson was taking first team reps when Wentz, Carson Wentz was under the weather. Any word on how he performed in those two days? He knows he's not going to be the starter, but just curious as to how Jacob Beeson's coming along. Yeah. And, you know, Bryson, this probably goes back to my earlier point. It, it, they aren't even going up against the defense. You know, and I, I hate to temper expectations like this, but I, I got to be honest with what I'm observing out mm-hmm. there. I know, you know there were some people out there that have been like, oh, Jacob Beeson's taking first-team reps. I'm like, well, that's kind of a bit of a misleading tweet. Like, yes, he's lining up with the starters, but, again, they're going against nobody. Right. So um, you have to note that. I, I think just watching Eason, you know, when he is throwing and it's routes versus air and things like that, that is exactly what he's made for. I mean, his arm strength and that ability with that right arm, um, it's a howitzer. And I know I've used that term before, but it is certainly that. Um, you know, just to kind of paint the picture of what we saw from the offense, we got a better look at the defense on Thursday. The offense was we're in kind of one end zone, behind one end zone. Yeah. There's two practice fields. So let's say it's practice field one and two. 
Uh, one is on the left, two is on the right. We're behind the end zone on two. The offense was practicing on the opposite end zone on one, and it was like goal line and red zone. And it's just, again, kind of a sped-up walkthrough of like, yes, all these receivers going out for routes, you're making reads and throwing them, but, you know, there's no – Darius Leonard is on the other practice field. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's, I guess, just a little bit of a picture of um, how it is. And it it is a bummer, Chris, because – and I get it. This is how players across the league have wanted it. The Colts players are not any different than the rest of the NFL. But usually – you know, you're out there for 10 OTAs and three mini camp practices. That's 13 sessions of offense, defense, 90 minute, two hour sessions that you typically get in the spring. Now, you're never putting on full pads, but still, I mean, it's, yeah. it is something. And now you have none. You've gone from 13 to zero. And this is a league wide, uh, I can call it an issue just because, you know, whatever it's easy for me but i'm sure if i were a part of the players union i would be wanting to be pretty scaled back so it is severely scaled back and you know as much as you know the colts i think publicly are trying to be like oh this is great we're still getting two weeks of work and it's like well you know you do have a new quarterback and you would like i think a little bit more of some offense, defense stuff, because technically OTAs are supposed to start this week. This is the week when you could take part in that. But um, I don't know. If I were Frank Reich and Chris Boward, I think publicly you have to say the right things because it it is turning into much yeah. more of a player league. But I think privately, when you've lost seven straight season openers and you see the schedule that is sitting there the first five weeks, you're probably a little pissed off. Yeah. Next one comes from Gary. So this is graduation time, and congrats to all the yeah. recent grads and upcoming grads. Shout out. High school, college, eighth grade, whatever. <laughs> I mean, hell, kindergarten. Kindergarten, yeah. Yeah, Rosie Bow <laughs> going from ones to twos. So, so it's time for some superlatives. So get ready, Kevin, because right. he wants to know, worst projected starter offense, defense, and special teams is at Rocky scene. Oh, shit. Yeah, just, Gary's not going super no. positive here with these. Gary was quick and to the point. Yeah, okay. I thought graduation we were going to go positive here. Worst projected starter, offense, defense, special team. Well, special teams, I just kind of throw it. I mean. Right. Yeah, I guess Luke Rose is really good at his job. Rigoberto is really good at his job. And Hot Rod's, you know, pretty good at his job. So, um, worst starter. Well, on defense, I again, Kerry I, was over Rock. Um, now, when you go to a third corner, well, I guess Carey's still your third corner because Xavier Rhodes would normally be in the mix. Mm-hmm. I, I would probably say that second defensive end, you know, who, who is that? Well, honestly, you know, some can make the argument that Tyquan Lewis or Al-Qadim Muhammad will be better than Quiddy Pay early on, obviously. I, I think that's something we just need to keep on reminding ourselves. Like, it's some high expectations to ask a rookie defensive end come in and give you major production early on. So... I'd say maybe whoever is that defensive end. Offensively, I don't – I mean, who is your worst starter on offense? I don't – boy. Um, <laughs> seriously, which is a great problem to have. Like, right. I'm, I'm going through the starting – hell, it better not be Wentz. <laughs> no. I'll just say that. I, I mean, if it's Wentz, that's that's an issue. Mark Lewinsky? I, I, you know, that's kind of a slap in the face at, at Glow, who I thought had a pretty good year, you know, is it your second tight end? I, I don't know. I feel like with Mo Ali Cox, it's more just getting consistent playing time. The wideout group if healthy, Pittman, Hilton, Campbell, that's a good trio. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor speaks for uh, himself. I, you know, certainly Sam Tevy. I guess if Eric Fisher's gonna yep. miss some time, but offense is difficult for me. I don't, I don't have a great answer there. So Gary's not setting you up. No, he's not. Yeah, this is definitely a great. Yeah, maybe I should have put this question a little bit later in the uh, in the pod here. But yeah, congrats to all of our grads, and boy, congrats to our <laughs> superlatives that we just laid out there. Thank you for the question, though, Gary. Love you, Kevin. This one comes from Nick. Can you please address the Julio Jones trade rumors? Is there any chance that he ends up with the Colts? Do we even have the cap room? And if so, what do you think it would cost to get him to the Colts? Yeah, well, let's start right there. Do we have the cap room, Nick? Um, you can manipulate the cap. The Colts don't really manipulate the cap. So the answer is no. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I'm a little confused, and I know Vegas, honestly, has probably, I mean, they have the Colts, I think, super high Yeah. Uh, with some of these odds, you know, Titans, 49ers, Patriots, wh- whoever else. I, I don't understand why. I mean, I don't know. I guess the Colts have kind of been like this team with all the cap space for the last three or four years. They're always kind of on these lists with these big names, and obviously they never really come to fruition. I guess Carson was the only one. But, um, you know, when you break down the cap, it's about $13.5 million right now. You want to get extensions done for Braden Smith and Darius Leonard. You've got – I don't believe that $13.5 million included all – how many draft picks do you have? Seven? Mm-hmm. All seven draft picks? I, I don't think that included that. And then also, Chris, you have to prepare worst-case scenario when you're Chris Bauer and Mike Bloom, and Mike Bloom is our cap expert. And I know this is, this boy, it's going to sound doom and gloom, but this is part of your job. Like, if Jacob Eason blanks the bed in preseason, you've probably got to go out and sign a veteran. Now, you can find veteran quarterbacks in late August, yeah. but that veteran quarterback's going to command a little money. I mean, we saw what Brian Hoyer right. got when he came here after the luck retirement. You've got a little bit of leverage there if you're those quarterbacks. So you got to have some money available, and then you also have to have money available just for that catastrophic camp injury. You know, God forbid, and I won't even name the names, but <laughs> you guys know the names yep. of a guy or guys that would go down in camp. You've got to... Go find, I think, somewhat of a frontline starter if you can. You know, obviously the availability of those guys in the open market. So, I guess I'm a little bit confused on just the smoke and the rumors. And I get it, social media. And by the way, I think Julio Jones is a stud. Mm-hmm. I know there's debate about where Julio's at at this point in his career. Uh, missed a few games last year. I mean, two, three years ago, there wasn't a better wideout in the league than Julio Jones. So I get it; he's getting up there, but. This is no knock on Julio Jones. Like, he could greatly help right. you out. Um, sure, does it stunt a little bit of playing time for some of your guys? Yeah, I will also say this. I know skill sets, and I really harped on that last week's podcast, skill sets at wideout. Like, you, if Paris Campbell's injury trend continues, you're right back with the same wideout group you had last year. Now, you hope Pittman takes a big step forward. And you know, who knows, Patman, somebody else in that group. But you are scrambling a little bit at mm-hmm. wideout if – really any of those guys get hurt on that. And I guess lastly on it, Chris, for me, I haven't seen Julio trade packages. Have you seen any, like, guesses at what it would take to get him? I saw Pro Football Focus. They did a mock one where it was the uh, Falcons and the Titans. Okay. Trading fifth-round picks next year. Obviously, Titans receiving Julio Jones and then a second and a fourth round next year as well. Okay. Gotcha. Well, let's go with okay, let's just go with second and fourth for the Colts if they were to have to give that up and mm-hmm. you know, throw the fifth round swaps out the window. Um, so that means next year. Now, I don't even know. The Colts probably can't give up their second rounder because it's tied to a current trade. But let's say you're giving up your first for Wentz. You're second for Julio. You're fourth for Julio. You're going into next year's draft with only a third-round pick until day three and a round into day three. I could never see Chris Bauer doing it. And I I do kind of appreciate this by Ballard. You know, in that draft film room, you know, one of the reasons, and I agreed with this after the Ellinger pick, until you 1,000% have a guy at quarterback, we're still playing cornhole here. We're still trying to throw a bag in there. Like you, that That's just how you have to approach that position. It means too much. Is Sam Ellinger ever going to take a meaningful snap for the Colts? Maybe not. For Colts fans' sake, you know, outside of a Taysom Hill package, hopefully not, right. you know, to be frank. But you just, in the back of your mind, it is always this, this is a possibility. It's very worst-case scenario, but if Carson Wentz looks like Carson Wentz from last year, you can't go into next year's draft with one pick in the first four rounds. Mm-hmm. That you cannot. No. So that I think plays into some of this Julio stuff. And I get it. I get the win now approach. I get the Super Bowl bound. Julio would certainly raise the ceiling on this 2021 Colts, but there are a lot of ramifications around it. So um, I know June 1st is kind of a big date, I think, for him and that price tag to the Falcons to save more money. Uh, but I do not see this happening. Yeah. No. Kevin, this one comes from Dylan, who's a longtime fan. 
first time asking question. I love this on the pod. You know, you hear it on sports yeah. radio all the time. Long time, first time. Long time, first time. This is Dylan. He said, I understand that there is a lot of questions with our offense, but am I crazy for thinking that this could be a highly performing top-tier offense by the end of the season? The variety that our running back group has, a healthy Paris Campbell, the dynamic that is Kylan Granson, and also adding Carson Wentz seems to be like a scary combination for defenses to cover if schemed correctly. Appreciate all you do for Colts Nation. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Dylan, and appreciate you listening and chiming in with a question. You know we uh, we always love that. Um, I think the wideout group, to me, Chris, has kind of the most volatility of any position group on this team. Uh, or I should say offensively. If things can check out, yeah, great potential. Great potential. But like I was just saying, you know, Campbell injury, you could be kind of right back at square one. Obviously, Fisher staying healthy is vitally important for the offensive line. Uh, but, man, I, when I keep coming back to Taylor and I keep coming back to this run game, it can be really, really, really elite. Yeah. Really elite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it gets a little bit lost in the shuffle, and I really I, – I, God, I certainly tweeted it out pretty much every Sunday late last season – when when Taylor started to string together those at least like seventy, I think it was seventy four yards in every game. He you know four weeks in a row, five weeks in a row. So did in the Buffalo game as well. That is such rarefied air for a present day NFL running back. Yeah, like guys don't. Derrick Henry mm-hmm. doesn't do that. Zeke doesn't do. That. I mean, it is. It's wild what that run game did late in the season. Now, Costanzo to Fisher and where he's at health-wise, and I don't know, now the teams have a full year of film on Taylor. Who knows? But that is a group I think we expect an ascension from, or whatever, continuing on that level. And if so, yeah, I mean, this offense does have that, that potential. Now, the things that have to check out, health at wide out, Fisher at left tackle, and then obviously you keep on coming back to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. But from a run game standpoint, he should have that support. And not every QB, certainly in the league, has that. No. And I love the quiet confidence that Taylor just plays with. Yeah, he really does. That's a, that's a great way to describe it. Next one comes from Rod. Out of these players, who would you like to see most have a breakout year, and who do you think is most likely to have a breakout year? Kamoko Ture, Rocky Sin, Quiddy Pay, Michael Pittman Jr., and Paris Campbell. Hmm. That's a good list. Give that give, give those to me one more time. Kamoko Ture, Rocky Sin, Quiddy Pay, Michael Pittman Jr., and Paris Campbell. You know, who can help the team the most? And you're going true breakout, it'd be Ture or Pay. Mm-hmm. I know Pittman and Campbell would probably be popular, but like Pittman and Campbell have, and I guess Campbell's kind of like Ture. They kind of done the same in the NFL. Pittman's done, I think, a little bit more. Uh, but if Pay or Ture goes from here's their current baseline to a breakout, boy, that's big. Whereas I just think Pittman and Campbell have a little bit of a higher floor right now. Who is most likely? Definitely Pittman, in my eyes. You know, pay. I kind of just—it's just tough. Rookie, rookie rushers. You know, I—I I think right now you'd sign up for six sacks. I know some people would, would want more, but like I just think flat out, you say where's the dotted line, and you mm-hmm. and you sign up there. I think if you were like, oh yeah, it's gonna guy guys gonna start fifteen games and give you six sacks, you would do it. Um, you know, Ture and Campbell—they just fall into the health category. So, frankly, if healthy. I would say Campbell probably more than Ture. I, I still need to see a little bit more from Ture consistently. And I know health has contributed to it, um, but I do think you have to acknowledge that. With Rock, man, it's just so, to me, it's so mental. Um, and also, he Rock's got to go win a job. You know, I think, you know, judging by what we saw last week, again, with TJ Carey, Xavier Rhodes, Kenny Moore, you know, in the short term, those are the three that you're going with. Now, long term, you'd much rather have it be Rock. But, again, you got Wilson and Stafford the first two weeks of the season. There's not a lot of just kind of, hey, man, come on in and we'll let you grow. Like, you got to go. So, yeah, I'd probably put Rock 
a little bit lower on the most likely, but it, it, it it's much different. You know, he's mental. To me, the other ones are just physical. And, and Pittman, I mean, I'd feel very confident. I'd, you know, a little bit of rosy daycare. <laughs> I would bet on uh, I'd bet on Michael Pittman taking that jump. I'm not saying it would happen here, but with this physicality, could Rock ever transition to a safety, or does that just not happen in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, he certainly has a good frame. Um, I feel like he's a good tackler in space, but it's just like, what, doesn't he get lost in the shuffle there too? You know, mm-hmm. it's it's Blackman, it's Willis. You know, it, it's a fair statement, and obviously versatility on game day is huge, but you, you really need him at corner. Like, long-term, ideally, yeah. he would work out a corner. You know, Xavier is 31, whatever he is, and then um, he's a you know in a contract year as well. Mm-hmm. So. All right, another pro football-focused question. This one comes from Alec regarding Carson Wentz, who was ranked uh, 23rd when it came to quarterbacks going into next year. At first, he thought 23rd was pretty low. But then in Alec's eyes, as he looked at the group ahead of Carson Wentz, other than Trevor Lawrence, who has yet to take a snap, and Daniel Jones, who he uh, jokingly says can't run without getting eaten up by the turf monster, <laughs> might be the only guys that, that he would put behind Carson Wentz. Is there anyone else on the list that you think Carson might be ahead of going into the season? Yeah, so Alex sent me this, and I and I clicked on the link. Um, there were a couple names that jumped out to me. I, I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick should be higher. I get it. Fitzmagic does it for a few games, but I just don't think. And then I'm a little turn on Roethlisberger, you know. He certainly had some issues late last year, late last season. I always think Kirk Cousins is way too high on some of those lists too. You know, I, you know, whatever. I probably take Cousins over Wentz. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've never been a big Cousins guy. But I think we have to remember the source. And this is no knock on Pro Football Focus, but like they're huge on analytics, and the analytics were. F- freaking awful for Carson Wentz last season like Mm -hmm. you know again he led the NFL in interceptions and didn't play the final four games I mean his completion percentage was what like 57 58 I don't know it was something terrible so when you have those numbers the number site is not going to like you at all Um, so I understand where why they have him ranked 23rd now I don't know how much of this is a projection for 2021 because I think you have to factor that in so you know, it's it, it's funny. I remember after um, the first whatever, maybe that Cleveland game last year, Chris. I was on the morning show, and one of our hosts kind of went back and forth with me, and like they he rattled off all the AFC quarterbacks, and who would you take over Philip Rivers? And when you start naming quarterbacks, you can get down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. of like, oh well, yeah, but like. You also don't watch those quarterbacks every week. Like, we watch Rivers. We're about to watch Wentz every week. So you have a strong critical eye right. on your own QB. So I think you just naturally you heavily criticize a little bit more. And, and at the end of the year, if you're just talking in a one-year vacuum, you couldn't name five AFC quarterbacks you'd have rather than Phillip Rivers late last season. So I, I do think that's something to keep in mind as well, Alec. But – you know, if you base it off analytics, it's probably hard to get much higher than top 20 for Wentz. Again, based off what he did last season. Correct. This one comes from John. Hey, Kevin, assuming every major move that we made this offseason works out, in which he notes Carson Wentz, Eric Fisher, Quiddy Pay, Deo Odangbo, and Kylan Granson, but Xavier Rhodes and T.Y. Hilton walk after the season, what are you doing in the 2022 draft considering that we will be using all of our cap room more than likely to resign our own guys. Oh, okay. So this takes a little bit of thinking here. Mm-hmm. So he's got Wentz working out, left tackle working out, defensive end, promising, tight end. Has a nice young piece, but he's saying your top corner and I don't know, kind of your top wide out are walking. Well, the question I would have then is does Rock take a jump? Yeah. And what about Pittman and Campbell? You know, that that would be my next question. Obviously, John doesn't address those. But let's say those are unknowns, or let's just say those guys stay at the same level. My top three in the draft would be corner, 
wide out left tackle. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, I don't want to get too far without taking a left tackle. You know, Fisher obviously getting another year older and things like that. But yeah, I mean, if Rhodes and Ty are walking and without the known of whatever Rock and and Pittman and Campbell did, I'd put corner and wide out uh, first and second on that list. JJ says Chris Ballard picked up an injured Eric Fisher. Probably won't be ready for at least the first few weeks. Then ask, will the injury matter since the Colts almost always lose their first two games? Oh, there we go, JJ. You, you and Gary, you know, just, just the nice optimistic helium intake there early on this Monday morning. <laughs> One thing that I, I, I want to mention on Eric Fisher, and by the way, I thought Stephen Holder, for those that sub- subscribe to The Athletic, had a very well done piece on Achilles injuries and rehabs and how it's not the death sentence that you know maybe it once was and obviously there are some guys that do take 10 11 months things like that but basically I think why the Colts felt so confident with Fisher is you know he tears out Achilles in January late January they were able to get their hands on him right after the draft so early May Mm -hmm. there is a three-month time frame in Achilles rehabs that is a big indicator of how the rehab is going. And not to get too like crazy medical, but like it has something to do with basically like, I think the size of the tendon at that point, or the length of the tendon, something to where they can gauge, again, how fast the recovery is going to be, how strong that tendon can get mm-hmm. in, in a certain time frame. There's just a better idea of what it looks like. You got to get to three months, though. Okay. Well, think about a dangbo. You know, he tears it right around Fisher. I think it might have been the same day, um, late January, and then boom, you know, he's drafted late April. Uh, so you would think very close to getting to that three month time frame as well there. So um, I don't know how long Fisher is going to miss, obviously, but I do. And I, I don't know if I said this last week when we were talking about our Chris Ballard draft film breakdown takeaways, but I walked out of that room feeling a little bit better about Eric Fisher's rehab and his ability to potentially play early in the season than I did walking into that room. I have no freaking idea. The Colts don't even have an idea if he's going to suit up week one. Yeah, uh, Maybe that's just ludicrous to think about. But again, based off how I walked into that room, based off how I walked out of that room, and I don't think, I, I, I believe, I don't think it's just like lip service. I don't know why you would say, oh yeah, he's going to be ready week one and then him not be ready week one. I don't think... Eric Fisher's presence in the starting lineup is going to get more than about 10 family members of Eric Fisher's, you know, family into the building at Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, I do think, to J.J.'s point, you know, obviously just the snark, will the injury matter since the Colts almost always lose the first two games? I do think we have to acknowledge that going back to the Rivers thing last year, I mean, Phillip Rivers in the first five games of the season, it was a bit Mm -hmm. up and down. It was not. Um, right. smooth sailing by any means. Even, you know, you go back to when Luck came back, and I know Luck came back from a very serious injury uh, and wasn't familiar with Frank Reich's offense. But, you know, obviously Luck had a few kind of up-and-down moments there early on through a ton of passes early in those first five games and before he really settled in and had a great end and the Colts rattle off, you know, 9 of 10 to end that 2018 season. But I guess what I'm getting at is this. Rivers had a few hurdles and in that schedule, you played the Jags, the Jets, the Vikings team that certainly right. was struggling, <laughs> and the 500 Bears. Um, I think the Browns, I guess, was the fifth team that you're playing in that span. They obviously had a really nice season. So that schedule, to me, is not very daunting. You look at this five-game schedule, and it it is, I think, daunting. So if you get Wentz to have the same performance as Rivers did in those first five games and you flash up the schedule, you know, two and three, that might be something you got to accept. I know a lot of people don't want to do that, and that's not ideal. But what I'm getting at is this. This is a quarterback going to a new team. Same offense, similar offense, but Phil Rivers had that similar offense. And from a – Workload standpoint, we'll see. Carson might get some preseason reps, whereas Phillip didn't get that. Um, but I think that's just stuff that we all have to acknowledge mm-hmm. and realize that 
and you guys have heard me say this, that last year, you know, the schedule was extremely easy. Uh, and this year you just aren't afforded that same schedule, especially early in the season. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if Wentz has those hurdles, how does that impact what your record is five games in? We'll stick with Eric Fisher here just for a little bit with a question from Mitch. By and large, Mitch has been in the Trust Ballard camp, but after the last few weeks, he's wavering between drafting a redshirt player in the second round and signing Eric Fisher, who might not see the field for the first couple games into the season. He's concerned that Ballard is putting us in an early hole that we can't climb out of. What are the odds that we make it through the no Fisher games with a decent record? As always, thanks for the great work. Well, Mitch, I'll say this, and I asked Chris Ballard this. I was like, oh, yeah, what are your thoughts on the schedule? Schedule came out the night before the um, draft film room. And again, Ballard, you know, I mean, uh, hell, he could be off the record. He was like, oh, yeah, I I don't care. I'm like, well, that's a stupid question. Kevin, just put your hand back down. Um, (laughs) But just like adamant, like, I'm not worried about it at all. Not worried about it. I'm like, well, first five games, you know, Eric's injury. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. And, like, part of it is, okay, that's fine to, like, say in front of a team, you know, but I thought he'd be a little bit more. And I just, frankly, believe that's his opinion. He's just like, I'm good. You know, schedule schedule. Uh, who's ever the next in front right, of you, you just right. go through, huh? Um, so, and then I guess, it, you know, Mitch, to your point, it kind of comes back to, again, where is Fisher? Does he miss two games? Does he miss four games? Is there rust when he comes back? Like, those are the hard predictors that you have. Um, so, I understand where you come from, Mitch. And I know there are people that don't love the whole so much eggs in your Achilles basket. Uh, but I, I do think it's a bit of an unknown of just where is Fisher at and when will he be ready. And frankly, I don't think the Colts care. Yeah. Matt, if you're out there listening here on this dreary Monday, don't let your boss know because you say that he wants to thank you first off because his productivity at work goes down every time <laughs> you release a podcast. Shit. Don't tell your boss. Of the following two players, which is having a monster slash breakout season will lead the Colts to the type of season that fans everywhere are expecting, Paris Campbell or Kamoko Ture? Oh, that's a great question. Um, following two players, which one? Uh, I, I probably shouldn't mumble. I should probably just repeat the question. Of the following two players, which one having a monster breakout season will lead the Colts to the type of season fans everywhere are expecting Paris Campbell come up to her? Oh, this is a great question. This is a question that I asked uh, Jim Aiello when I was filling in for JMV on Friday as well. I thought, Matt, this is a terrific question. Jim and I differed. Jim said Campbell. I say Ture. Now, Jim made a great point in that he feels, I think, a little bit better about the wideout depth. Um, No, no, no. Excuse the me. defensive line yeah, depth. Yeah, defensive end depth. Uh, you know, you have Banigou, you have Pay. You know, who who knows? You would hope that somebody emerges. Where I say Ture more than Campbell is, for one, I think, again, you guys have heard me say this, edge rusher is the second most important position on the field. You can cover up a lot of mistakes. I also think it's easier to scheme up stuff offensively than scheme up a pass rush. Yeah. That's just me flat out and how I view that. Now, Campbell's different. Like <laughs> Campbell's unique, and I totally acknowledge that. It's a great question, but to me, it is Ture because edge rush means that much. You could rely on your run game for a whole lot offensively. You could scheme up some stuff in the pass game, but for me, you can't do that with the edge rush. And I know, yes, you do have Banninger, you do have Pay, but like Ture at least has shown several flashes in the NFL. So it's a really good question, Matt. I have a feeling – you would get different answers on that, but I mm-hmm. will go with uh, Kamoko Ture. Yeah, I agree. And I think Colts Nation loves Paris Campbell, and we want to see the best out of him, and we know how dynamic hopefully he can be when he gets in. But like you mentioned, rushing the quarterback is just different in the NFL. Yeah, flat out. Very, very different. All right, three more. This one comes from Travis. Ballard said that Eric Fisher's signing works. He would like to sign him to a long-term deal. How do you see this being possible, considering Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith's contracts are on the horizon? Do you release or trademark Lewinsky, replacing him with Danny Pinter? And that will possibly help. Yeah. Some say it's impossible that the numbers on our offensive line, but do you think that we? But do you think 
many would have let Anthony Costanzo walk away in 2022, uh, walk away in 2020, had he wanted to still play. Yeah, the, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't have let AC walk. Um, the Glowinski thing, I'm pretty sure he's in a contract year this year. I, I would have to go back and, and, and look that up. Um, now, with Pinter, they, they think he's got a higher ceiling at center than guard. Now, unless Ryan Kelly gets hurt, he's never yeah. playing center. So that's a little bit more difficult to figure out. Um, you know, I think right now it's like a $90 million, $89 million in cap. For, for next year, obviously, that will go, you know, a chunk of it to Braden, a chunk of it to Darius. Naeem Hines, I think, deserves an extension, mm-hmm. a chunk of it there. Uh, you know, what do you do with Rhodes and Hilton, you know, two guys on one-year deals? I think you can make it work, to be honest with you. Um, now, it's going to take, and I think I talked a little bit about this on the podcast, you know, take a little bit of a kind of cap magic, I don't know about magic. Just a little bit of a juggle with the cap of like going from roster bonuses to signing bonuses. Do you space some of that stuff out mm-hmm. a little bit more? But I just think O line means so much to Ballard. I feel like he'll make that work. And I think really where the roster is going to get hit is kind of in the middle. You know, some of the guys. Oh yeah, we can sign him for one year, three million, and he might barely play defensively. Maybe you just don't make as many of those moves. Yeah. I think that's where you're going to see your roster get hurt a little bit there. So um, letting Glowinski walk and inserting Danny Pinter, sure. Um, You know, something that I would probably explore. But, again, I I don't know how much they view Pinter as a 100% starting starting guard. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just make some of these guys the Bobby Bonilla trait or Bobby Bonilla deal (laughs) and just pay him? Over the next 40 years. I mean, shit, the Pacers are still paying Monta Ellis. Right. I mean, it's unbelievable. Next one comes from Riley. Do you think Paris Campbell will be able to compete for the number one role? In our first game last year against the Jaguars, he was the best wide receiver on the field, in their opinion. Do you think Paris Campbell will be able to compete for the number one role in our first game? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he was. I mean, he, he, he outsnapped T.Y. Hilton in that game. I'll say this. Pittman is your number one. Like, blocking, does it all. Um, yeah, I mean, Pittman was also out snapping Hilton late in the season. So, I think, honestly, from a pure playing time standpoint, if everybody's healthy, Pittman and Campbell will be on the floor, or on the floor, on the court. Oh, shit. God, I'm losing it. We should just end the podcast. On the field, gridiron, pitch, whatever you want to call it, more than T.Y. Hilton. And it kind of goes back to my, you know, T.Y., it's make the most out of those reps. Yeah. Make the most, you know, those big-time moments. Can you really step up there? Um, so, yeah, I think Pittman is your number one. I think Campbell's kind of a close second. And, again, this is more me talking playing time, less production. And then Hilton is that definite third. And, I mean, hell, their games were probably Pascal. Played a ton of snaps. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, obviously Campbell's hurt. But still, I mean, Pascal's a guy that they want on the field quite a lot as well. Last Twitter question for this week's podcast comes from Jonathan, and he wants to know, who has been your favorite and least favorite player to interview during your career? Oh, wow. Um, well, I'll just go with kind of the this current cult group. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll throw in a few that have from the past. My least favorite, and Braden Smith is a horrific quote, Quentin Nelson's awful. Um, Justin Houston got better at times. He'd be like, why am I even here? Uh, Marlon Mack, not great. Which, again, a lot of this means, like, some of these guys are just really humble. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they don't want to be overly honest. And some of them just hate the media right? as well. So you probably have knowledge about that. You know, Kenny Moore can kind of be hit or miss. Sometimes Kenny's good, but other times not great. Favorite, I, I love Hines. I know we've played his audio on this podcast. I think DeForest Buckner is really good. Leonard, tremendous, brutally honest. Ryan Kelly, extremely honest as well. Um, I think Jonathan Taylor mm-hmm. is pretty good as well. I mean, luck was a horrible quote. <laughs> yeah, Rivers was really good. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I just – I appreciate a little bit of 
respect and candor more than anything. Right. Obviously, Jacoby didn't give. Yeah, Jacoby and I had a few that that, that weren't great. Like yesterday, I'm watching Mickelson after the round, and I'm like, dude, Phil, I've heard you talk. Like you love to talk. Give us a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe in that moment, Phil's just so caught up with. With emotions, and boy, I mean, you could really tell he was so into that breathing thing all, all the, I mean, he gets through those massive throngs of people, and he's just, like, standing there breathing. I'm like, <laughs> you know, this isn't yoga. Like, kind of let it out, Phil. But whatever. You're in those arenas. It's different. Uh, but selfishly, just some respect, candor. That's what I, I would like, I would want. You know, something I'd, you know, we listen to so much Indy 500 coverage mm-hmm. this month. And what I love about the sport is just how forthcoming and available these owners and drivers and strategists yep. are. I mean, it's unfrickin' believable how Charlie Kimball is out of the Indy 500 and that heart is broken, and boom, 30 seconds later, you got a mic in his face and he's talking. Yeah. And that's just, like, part of it. And if Will Power would have been out in his incredible resume, he would have had to have done the same thing in those moments. You're interviewing the strategists and the, and the you know, whatever, engineers during races. You know, talk talk to us. What's your, what's your strategy? 20 laps to go. What are you thinking right now? I mean, that's, that's much more insightful than, oh, you know, here's, you know, whatever. Mike Fertello's in, interviewing Nate Bjorkren going into the fourth <laughs> quarter. It's like, whoop-de-doo. You got to get back and take a charge. Right. You know, it's just I, – I really, really appreciate it. Now, I get it. The NFL doesn't have to be that open because they are the giant, and IndyCar needs to be that open. Um, I, right now we're watching that um, F1 documentary. Yeah. Have you watched that? On Netflix? Yeah. I've not, but I had, a buddy, I had a buddy recommend it. Yeah, re- re- really good. And we're kind of in the middle of season three right now, which I think is the last season. Um, Basically, one of the drivers goes from, I don't know, Hosta, whatever, Ferrari or something. And they have the two owners of the team right up there after this happens, sitting on the same podium talking about this. Like, it'd be like <laughs> Carson Wentz is traded, and here's Jeffrey Lurie and Jim Mercer on the podium together talking about this. Mm-hmm. Like, it is just. And again, auto racing, you, you, you probably need to do a little bit more just because your sport isn't on you know network tv and and you know whatever the tv audience isn't already where it is but you're still human i mean yeah exactly i i'm such a big fan of it so and i would put chris and and frank reich more on the candid side of it certainly chris yeah and i think for the most part frankie hates talking about injuries which i get it but um yeah i would say of the coaches you know he is much more on that and no one's bruce arians but um, he is pretty close to that scale so yeah jonathan that's there's my media rant for the week well as we wrap things up obviously we teased it in the beginning of the podcast but this weekend greatest spectacle in racing indianapolis 500 great to see a lot of fans out at the track who are you going with kev uh okay Uh, dixon is head but my pick is going to be tony cannon okay yeah um, fan fit every, I mean, every, no one hates TK. Yep. No one, no one hates him at all. Um, I just feel like the Wiley vet, he's on the same team, you know, he's Chip Ganassi racing. So him and Dixon are on the same team and I think he'll be there late in the week, uh, late in the race. I should say he's a daredevil and the dude doesn't even race, you know, full time anymore. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you're going to go all out there to make something happen. Obviously Dixon, I think, I mean, Dixon's resume is incredible. One Indy 500, so it's not like he needs another, but he, I don't think he kind of needs another. You know, if you want to potentially be in the same breath of right. Mario and whoever, um, I do think Dixon needs one more. So I will go with Tony Kanaan, and you will go with? I'm going with Alexander Rossi. Oh, I like that as well. I've got good scratch on We Alexander. both got guys that uh, live local. Yeah. Practice and, and, and stay here throughout the season, so. I don't know. I just last year he he was at the tail end and then started to make that climb before the unfortunate wreck. And obviously, when you're already an Indy 500 winner and you know the track, I'm going to give you a little hat tip. Yeah, I was uh, hoping he'd get in that fast nine. He just missed it though. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's a that's a very good pick as well. So uh, for those of you that don't follow IndyCar and um, have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> check it out. 12:30. I want to say green flag on Sunday. 
Yeah, and you'll be out there on Carb Day. Yeah, I'm hoping to be out there on Carb Day. So, yeah, definitely uh, Friday uh, practice, I think, 11 to 1, I believe, their final practice session as well. So I'm looking forward to that. So everybody have a great week. Hopefully weather cooperates as well. Like I said, I'll be out at Colts practice Thursday, so look for a recap on that Thursday afternoon up on our site. And we'll come back next week with another pod looking back on that. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.